You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective as we have a very special show. Bubba, hard to believe that uh, less than 48 hours and we're going to have some baseball in Omaha. Yeah, always love watching the College World Series. Uh, very interesting field this year. Every program has been before, but you have a couple programs that haven't been there in an awfully long time in Wake Forest and Oral Roberts. Then you have some traditional powers that have been there several times, won national championships like LSU, Stanford, etc. So I'm very excited to talk some baseball over this next hour or so. And uh, you know, we'll, and, and Dave, we'll start off the show. Um, you know, we've had this guy on the program before. It's been a couple years, though, and a great time to have him back on um, because what, what a year for the Demon Deacons. Uh, welcome in. From their Learfield Network, also the ACC Network Plus, Larry Sorensen. Larry, we appreciate your time this evening. My pleasure, guys. Glad to be here. So, Larry, what a great year for the Demon Deacons. I mean, we heard uh, that the expectations were high, for obviously, this year. And uh, can you give us, a, I guess, a thumbnail sketch about the season? Uh, we know about the arms and the bats. It just seems like everything has been... Uh, I wouldn't say perfect. I know nobody will ever say perfect, but pretty close to it for the Demon Deacons. No, but when you're 52 and 10, things have been going pretty well for you. No question yeah. about that. And, yeah. and it's, it's funny because you mentioned the offense and the and the pitching. And really, to me, the defense has been the biggest surprise and one of the real glues of the entire season. It's kept the team in, in games every single day until the offense or the, or the uh, pitching caught up to it. And it's been very consistent. So it's been a well-rounded team. They've done things right from day one. Really, really close unit of guys that are fighting and playing for each other. And I know that's trite, but it was a conscious decision by Wake Forest a couple of years back to change the culture. And they have, and it's paid off in a big way. No question, Larry. With uh, Talk about the... The Demon Deacons, obviously, I know how big um, a deal it is for Omaha, but can you talk about the team? What's the the practice schedule? What's that like for the Demon Deacons uh, for this weekend? Well, everything really starts cranking up tomorrow. They'll have a practice on the field at uh, Schwab Stadium and then a media event, and then they'll practice again on Friday and then go about game day for a 1 o'clock central start on uh, Saturday, and everything is lined up after a terrific regional uh, super regional that took two games to get past Alabama. So from a physical standpoint, everything is lined up the way Wake Forest wants. Their pitching rotation is established the way that they want to play it, depending on which way they want to go. But it's an exciting time for a lot of players that went through some bad times a couple of years ago and have rebounded to finally realize, as Tom Walter calls it, this is the holy grail and we've got a chance to get it. No question about it. As we bring in now Kyle from LaGrange Barber, I know with uh... – 
can you talk about the starting rotation? Who who is going to get the ball uh, starting on Saturday afternoon there in Omaha? Well, it appears that it's going to be Rhett Lauder, who was the uh, ACC Pitcher of the Year for the second year in a row. He's 15 and 0 this season. Uh, he has he has pitched in 17 games. Wake Forest has won every single game that they played. So as Walter said, every time he's left the dugout this year, Wake Forest has won. So that's a really good feeling as a coach. And then it'll be Josh Hartle the next day, in all likelihood, a left-hander whose numbers are very similar to Lauder's career-wise, but he's only in his second year. He's got one more year. He passed up a couple million dollars probably in the draft had he decided to go to uh, the pro draft. But he's from Winston-Salem. He grew up wanting to be a Demon Deacon, and so he pulled himself out of the draft and said that he was going to go to college, and he's got one more year. So a left-hander that's got high strikeout, low walks, as does Louder. Pitching goes about seven or eight deep, and it's it's probably the single strength of the club. Larry, you guys uh number one overall seed, make it to Omaha. Um, it, it's weird thinking about you guys being the number one overall seed, and I look at the brackets. Because of upsets on paper anyway, the side of your bracket it appears to be the, the tougher of the two. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because the preseason polls and everything – when you looked at it, it was LSU, it was uh, Stanford, then it was Tennessee, and Wake Forest was six. So it was one, two, three, and six in all the preseasons polls, and now they're facing each other in one bracket in Omaha. So you're right. It is stacked on that side. But that's the great thing about baseball, too, is you still have to go out and play the game. One starting pitcher has a really, really good night, and it throws the whole apple cart out of whack. You know, Bubba and I were talking prior to the show, and uh, speaking of the brackets, it's interesting. I don't believe uh, Wake and Virginia, despite being in the ACC, played in the regular season. A uh, very realistic possibility you could see, you know, a Wake-Virginia national championship, a lot of baseball to be played before then. But talk about that, uh, potential for an all-ACC national championship game. Well, obviously, you know, the Wake ACC is a very, very good league, and and people love to argue in baseball, and that's one of the things they love to argue about. And I, I think when you look at it realistically, you'd have to say the SEC is a touch better, but I think that uh, Wake Forest proved that they can play with anybody, certainly with what they did to Alabama, and Virginia is a terrific club that we have not seen but know a lot about from years past. And so an all-ACC final would be a pretty amazing thing. I think there are going to be some great baseball games. There's great pitching out here, no question about that. A lot of teams with some power, and we'll see how the ballpark contains and changes the offensive plans. But there's some really good teams, and there's some really good storylines too. When you think about it, Wake Forest with only 5,200 students would be a real Cinderella story, except that Oral Roberts is in it and kind of takes that mantle away from them. And it's a great story in its own right. So there's some small schools. There's the baseball traditional powerhouses. There's going to be some underdogs. Wake Forest, even though it's a smaller school, is at a great year and kind of have the target on their back with that number one seed. Yeah, like you say, Larry, um, Wake Forest making its first appearance in Omaha since 1955. Oral Roberts, I think perhaps second all time, but at least her first since something like 1978. And then you have a program like Florida, uh, you know, the the Gators, in many people's opinions here about five, six years ago, um, they were, you know, considered by some to have the most, the most talent pretty much year in, year out. And then this is the first time they've been to Omaha since, and which shows, you know, how many things have to align and how hard it is to get there. And then you, like you're saying, um, LSU, 
pretty much the the team of the 90s and then a program like Stanford who's there for the third year in a row that was also um, just there consistently throughout the 1990s and early 2000s. Yeah, so you're going against the traditional powers. And, and don't forget Tennessee. I mean, the team that Tennessee put together a couple of years ago was just unbelievable, and they didn't win. So right. you know, one thing you know for sure is that in baseball, yeah, yeah, I played with Joaquin Andujar, and he used to say, in baseball, the only thing you know for sure is you never know. And that's really true because anything can happen on any given day. The breaks, you know, you lose a ball in the, in the lights, in uh, the ninth inning of a ball game, and all of a sudden you're on your way to the College World Series. When that's what that's what makes it so exciting and the great game that it is. As you've done your prep work uh, for this College World Series opening game for the Deeks against the Stanford Cardinal, um, obviously uh, in a very interesting way that Stanford won that ball game against Texas the other night. It was a shame. Uh, even though even though I was pulling for Stanford to to win the game, I hate to see it unfold in that way. But um, you know, interestingly enough, I'm sure you heard this that uh, I think that was the third time this year that uh, an ending like that had happened at uh, the the ballpark there, uh, Sunken Diamond in Palo Alto. Yeah, Texas A&M in the regionals the week before. Uh, had some unfortunate luck with the lights out there. And so you you believe it's something that's got to be addressed, first of all, because that's not the right way to be having a game decided. But it also gives Stanford that little bit of magic. You know, there, there's always a team or two that come out that everything has gone right and you start believing, okay, this is our year. Because even when we faced adversity, something magical happened that made it go right for us. And you start thinking you can't lose. And that's as big a factor. That can be as big a factor as having uh, three 20 game winners, you know, on your staff. So it, believing in your team, believing that good things are always going to happen to you can go a long way. And it seems to me Stanford obviously has a great team in all the different categories that you look at statistically, but they also have a little bit of karma going for them right now. Yeah. As, as you've done your prep work for that game, I had the chance to see some of the some of the um, Stanford, Texas Super Regional, but um, what can you tell us about this Cardinal lineup and in, uh, in this program that's now in Omaha for a third consecutive year? You know, well-rounded. They do a lot of things well. They play good defense. They can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They can run a little bit, and, and obviously they pitch a little bit too, but well-coached, a team that's, as you said, steeped in tradition, so they believe that they should be here, and there's a confidence factor that goes along with that. Uh, the power factor is something that's going to be interesting to see because Wake Forest plays in a ball in a ballpark that's a little bit on the smaller side, but it all, the ball also carries very well. Now, having said that, Brock Wilkin hit three home runs in the game against Alabama, and the shortest one was 413 feet. You know, two, one was in for the 420s and one was 430s. So yeah, he hits the ball a long way, as does Kurtz, as do some of the other players. But the ballpark's going to be a factor. I think that the natural grass is going to be something of a factor, and I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how the defenses shake out. Taking a look at the um, at the the potential matchups in that side of the bracket or on that side of the bracket, obviously um, you, ha you have LSU taking on Tennessee, um, the Vols. The season a year ago that was very much kind of kind of like what the Deeks were able to produce this year 
did not make it to Omaha. However, coming up short in that Super Regional against Notre Dame. But this year they go on the road, get it done, and um, they're taking on an LSU team that, um, you know, outside of Paul Skeens, have, haven't been excellent on the mound, but they can really swing the bats. They do. They're off, and they do it a lot of different ways. They can they can score in a number of different ways, and in a ballpark like this, that's something that becomes very important. A team that runs the bases well, you know, not necessarily even in stolen bases, but runs well, takes the extra base, makes things happen, keeps the pressure on, that could be a very dangerous type team. I'm not sure that LSU has the kind of pitching depth that some of the other teams have. I think Tennessee – just has some amazing arms. I watched the Burns kid throwing 102 miles an hour the other night, and that makes you shake in your boots a little bit just watching it on TV, you know, when somebody's throwing that hard. But uh, every team has its own strengths, but they also all have weaknesses too. You know, there are, there are avenues that you can explore some different things. And uh, the main thing is come out with a good attitude, believe in what you do, play your game, and then see how it all shakes out. You talk about that Burns pitcher for Tennessee. I don't think I've ever seen a college pitcher react the way he did at the end of that inning. He just about lost his mind when he got those two straight strikeouts. He did the slash across the throat. I'm surprised the umpires didn't get on about it. Maybe they didn't see it. Well, and I know I think that somebody did see it because I know that there's some talk about uh, somebody uh, paying a penalty for having done the slash across the throat. And I'm not sure if it was that one or somebody else, but they're starting to take that celebration rule and all those kinds of antics much more seriously this year, which is good and bad. I mean, you want the kids to play, you want to let them have fun and express themselves, but we also know what human nature is, and we know that if you give people the opportunity, they will go too far with it, and clearly slashing your throat is going a little bit far, or addressing the other team with something is going a little bit too far. But uh, it's Omaha, it's, it's the CWS, and it's if people out there haven't been to this event, get on out here. I, I was fortunate enough to have, to have come out here three times to broadcast it for ESPN. I worked with Tim Brando and Mike Patrick for three years. And my broadcast partner, Stan Cotton, has been 27 years at uh, Wake Forest and has never been out here. And we're just having a blast, going to the different things, walking over to the ballpark, looking around, seeing what the view is going to be from where you're going to be sitting. And the town is fired up already. People in the restaurants, when they see the Wake Forest on your shirt, want to come over and talk, want to ask you questions. Sophisticated fans, you know, Omaha has always been known as the city that adopts the teams. And uh, they know the players' names. They know the players' numbers. And that makes for a fun week. Now, when you were able to attend in the past and you know call the games with Tim Brando, et cetera, like you just referenced, uh, was that um, at the current location or did you have a chance to go to Rosenblatt? No, that was at Rosenblatt back in 1991 yeah. and 92. And uh, just just the greatest event in sports that I've been to. And I've been to World Series and, and different events like that and All-Star Games. And, and it absolutely was the best event events that I had been to in my career as a broadcaster or as a player and really enjoyed it. Soaked in all of the great things that make uh, amateur baseball, what it is and, and watching those teams. And those are, you know, some of the same teams, Stanford, LSU, Florida, some of those same clubs were here back then and great, great teams then. Yeah. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, it was disappointing that uh, when it when it moved to TD Ameritrade, it's now Charles Schwab Field. 
uh, because I never had the chance to get out to Rosenblatt. Yeah, well, it was, and probably my favorite memory of that whole time was Field of Dreams came out then. And uh, our, our producer, Jay Rothman, got Kevin Costner to do the voiceover for the Open. And he showed some young young players playing in a playing in a, a, a little league field, and they were walking around and playing. And then they started walking in one direction towards a wall, and it was the outfield wall at Rosenblatt. And these young little league players walked through the wall, and they morphed into the stars of each team in their uniforms. And Kevin Costner said, "Is this heaven? No, this is Omaha." And that was the way. And I mean, just I still get goosebumps and chills. Because that's kind of the magic that uh, that the College World Series brings to the serious baseball fan. I, 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 now that you say that, I remember seeing that. That was one of those memories that I forgot I had. I, I can remember seeing that on ESPN now. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was really cool. And it reminds me of uh, the Major League game that was played at the Field of Dreams on the Open that they did for that. Uh, so, yeah, very cool there with Kevin Costner. But um, before we talk some more baseball uh, you talking about uh, umpires and, and the you know, especially the uh, celebration rule the prop rule if you will and that's something that has really been cracked down on and we'll talk about that and more during our second half hour with veteran retired umpire Scott Irby who worked uh, three college world series down through the years so he'll join us here in about 15 minutes or so but um uh, Taking a look at the other side of the bracket, uh, we have Virginia, who obviously um, you know, hosted both the regional and super regional, the number seven overall seed in the tournament. Um, you know, won the uh, super regional by winning two in a row against Duke after dropping that initial game. And then uh, Florida, you have a team that's, I want to say, hit about 130 home runs. So it's going to be um, a very entertaining matchup. And then you have um, a team in TCU that has made it to Omaha probably six times in the last 12 to 15 years, uh, taking on the, the real uh, underdog and media darling, if you will, the Oral Roberts Golden Eagles, who are a four seed coming into the tournament. And I, I really thought they should have at least been a three seed uh, with what, like a 46 and 11 record prior to the tournament. Well, it, you know, it's a hard thing trying to seed all these teams because there's so much talent and everybody does it in different ways that a lot of the times you're comparing apples to oranges and it's really kind of hard to try to pick. I think that Virginia is a really good team, great offensive club. They can beat you in a number of different ways. They've got a head coach that's been to this event, understands what it takes. He's got good pitching again. He's got superstar players. They've got guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. I think that uh, they're a team, as I look at that other bracket, that I really like. But then there's Florida that, like you said, has terrific power, and they've got some pitching as well. So that's going to be a great series. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe one of those other two teams is the team, the karma effect, the magic of getting hot at the right time which, as we all know, is half the battle. I mean, you can have a great year, but you go cold for a week, and, and all of a sudden you're out of it. You go, you know, you play very well, but not great the whole year, and get hot and get everybody playing well at the same time, 
and all of a sudden great things can happen. I think Wake Forest was really excited to see nine home runs on Sunday to clinch their regional because that's their game, and it came together, and everybody got hot. So that's what they're looking for. But on the other side, I think Florida and Virginia are the class of that bracket, and that should be a great matchup starting things off. Yeah, the nine home runs, and I believe that was the NCAA tournament uh, super regional record, and I think second most runs scored in a game with what twenty two, but uh, yeah, here's a, here's a stat for you, and this just blew me away. Uh, Wake Forest has given up sixteen runs in the regionals and the super regionals this year, and they've hit nineteen home runs. Wow, yeah, that is <laughs> wow, nineteen. Well, yeah, 19 home runs, and they've given up 16 total runs. So that's a number you'll hear many times on our broadcast coming up during this next week. And speaking of the home run, I don't recall the young man's name, but uh, um, from TCU that uh, really went off. Uh, I think maybe he had two grand slams in the same game in that uh, in that game against Arkansas where they put up 21 or 22 runs. Um, there at um, Baumwalker Stadium in Fayetteville, which was really eye-opening. You, you know, like we were just talking about, too, it depends on getting hot at the right time because you look at that matchup and you know how good Arkansas is, and that also speaks to how difficult it is to get to Omaha, just to get here. And I think that that's one of the things that, as we came out on the charter flight tonight and talking to some of the players, they're realizing the magnitude of what they have accomplished, but they're not blown away by it. They just said, we know we're good. We're not cocky. We're not overconfident. We know that we deserve to be here, and we're going to play as hard as we can, but also appreciate the moment. And that's where Tom Walter is a very humble guy, you know, the, the guy that gave his kidney to a player, and he's just he's, – he's all about doing things the right way and handling yourself the right way, and his club reflects that too. So it's a good group to be around. They know how to, you know, Brock Wilkin won a game on Saturday, on Saturday in the Super Regionals because he popped up to second base and he ran hard and the guy dropped it and he was standing at second base and ended up scoring the winning run because he ran out a pop-up to second. And this is a guy that just set the ACC all-time home run record. Larry, we have a question from one of our loyal viewers and listeners, Shell Powell here in Charlotte. Uh, he says, can you ask Larry, due to the success this year, has the recruiting trail picked up even more for for Wake Forest? Um, even even like you said, um, the small school, um, the point that you were making when we first went on. But um, And then I wanted to follow that up with a question about the staff that Coach Walter has, has assembled there. Sure. And, uh, Shell, that's a great question. And the truth of the matter is that pitching lab – has made Wake Forest a really, really attractive place to go. And they're getting kids that top flight pitchers. You know, it's not the guy that was the number two or three guy in his high school team that said, oh, I can go and you'll make me a good pitcher. It's guys that were stars and are being recruited by the big teams that are approaching Wake Forest and saying, I think you guys can help me and I want to help you. And they're getting into different living rooms, no question about that. You know, 11.7 scholarships doesn't go very far in college baseball. And when you start divvying it up, you can't give it to everybody. And they're finding that, you know, sometimes kids are a little bit more willing to take less because of the development aspect that they have, very similar to the football program. I broadcast football as well. And the football team gets, you know, three stars and two stars instead of four stars and five stars. 
but they've been to seven bowl games in a row because they develop talent. And the pitching lab has enabled them to do that, and they absolutely are having more success on the, on the recruiting trail. And also it's a great school. You know, it's a 28th-ranked school in the U.S. News and World Report, so it's a tremendous academic institution as well. That was one of the things for me, Larry, was the fact that academically uh, it's not not every kid can get in and you always hear people make excuses but you look at Vanderbilt look at Stanford uh, you look at you guys there's a lot of schools that are academic uh, powerhouses but also great in baseball as well and and baseball especially because you you know you get a different kind of kid and when you look at where the grad transfers are coming from Wake Forest has a real strong program in a number of different areas with the grad transfers and they've been helped significantly by being able to bring those kids in. But you're right. You know, the guys that realize that there's going to be more to life probably than just baseball um, certainly know that they can get their education paid for and have a great college experience and enjoy all those good things. And so they sort out those kinds of schools and you find that's part of the reason you have the high character, high quality type team that stays together the way that they have. And that's something that, Trey Daly and I, um, the general manager with the Dirtbags, we were talking a little college baseball, you know, recruiting yesterday. Um, good interview. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out uh, on our YouTube channel or pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. But uh, Trey and I were discussing just the jump that this program's made, you know, going from a, a good program um, that would, you know, make the regional uh, regionals every year um, or, you know, every couple years and uh, winning probably 35 games or so on average to doing what you're doing now. And um, he pointed to the pitching lab and then also uh, pitching coach Corey Mascara, um, who had previously been at Maryland. Yeah, no question. He's been a tremendous addition. He came in at just the right time as as a combination of psychologist and uh, pitching analyst. You know, he really understands the nuances of how to use the information that you gain by the profiles of different pitches to get hitters out. They do a great job scouting. Bill Salento is the hitting coach and uh, and Corey Muscara, and they scout the hitters and the pitchers. And Matt Wessinger has been a first, the first base coach, has come in done a good job with the defensive side. And Will Craig, who was an All-American as a player, came back to get his degree so he could go into coaching. So he's got the pro aspect, and the kids really get a good feel for the entire package. Moose has done a great job getting his pitchers prepared. He does a tremendous job making trips to the mound and reading the attitude of his pitcher, knowing the pitcher's personality and knowing whether he needs a kick in the tail or whether he needs a pat on the back, which is huge when a, when a coach comes out. And the, the other side of it is they're smart kids. Um, and, and the school makes them that way. The last weekend of the season, Brock Wilkin, All-American, home run records, was couldn't make batting practice because he had a final he had to take on a Saturday. So about an hour and a half before the game, he came running out from his final, went down to the batting practice shack in center field, and hit separately from the team because he'd missed BP. So ball games aren't enough reason to miss classes or tests around there. That's what they preach, and that's what they do. The other thing that's really that really helped them and hurt them was COVID, quite honestly because they got some players that didn't go in the draft in that five-round draft, like Brock Wilkin, came because he probably would have been a seventh or eighth-round pick, but he didn't get drafted, so he ended up on campus. 
but they suffered for it because they had a junior class that expected to be going on to pro ball. And when they weren't, they started looking at how can I put up numbers for the scouts so I get drafted higher after my senior year. And they didn't perform as well two years ago on the field as they wanted to or expected to bounce back last year and then put it all together this year. Larry, really appreciate your time. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was just going to say, Larry, uh, one of the things I love is, I know being Learfield, uh, Kyle and I were talking about that over last weekend about the varsity apps. That's one of the ways we can listen to you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just download the varsity app and hit Wake Forest as your favorite, and the game will be on there, uh, godeeks.com. You can find the game broadcast on there. Stan Cotton and I have worked together for nine years in baseball and seven years in football, and we always joke that in football, Wake Forest plays one of the fastest offenses in the country, about 22 seconds between plays, and Stan takes nine seconds to recap a play and about eight seconds to set up the next one. So I basically have five seconds between football plays, which is enough to say, that's right, Stan, and that's about it. But then we get to baseball, and he said, low, ball one, Larry, and he just lets me go and talk. So we work it out, but that's how you can get it on the Varsity app from Learfield or uh, GoDeeks.com. All right, Larry, thanks so much. Looking forward to, very excited for those of us that are college baseball fans. Our Pirates may be out, but we're looking forward. Good luck to the Demon Deacons. Uh, they've been the best team all year long, and we're looking forward to some great baseball this weekend. It's good. It's going to be a, a wild and crazy, enjoyable week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Enjoy it. All right. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. A very exciting time there with college baseball. And one of the things, uh, obviously, we love to talk about is beyond baseball. We're not beyond uh, the field. <clears throat> would be, uh, obviously, Bubba that would be the umpires. And we've had some interesting things happen this past season for the Pirates. And, I know a guy that knows a lot about college baseball and umpiring is joining us now, right? Yeah, Dave. Um, I think back over the last, you know, I guess, what, five-plus years now that we've been doing the podcast, and we've certainly had umpires on the show because um, we've had Wilson Rayner on uh, multiple times, but not specifically to talk about umpiring, to talk um, pirate football uh, because of his ties there. So right now, very excited to, to welcome into the show first-time guests, veteran umpire who's now retired he worked three college world series scott irby scott we appreciate your time this evening hey guys good evening great to have you on the show and i uh, believe you're from right there in the, the nashville tennessee area but uh you know for our look for our viewers and listeners you know give them a little on your background and specifically as it pertains to umpire yeah, I, I was very fortunate to spend about 25 years in the Atlantic Coast Conference and the Southeastern Conference. And as you stated, worked uh, three College World Series, uh, worked five Junior College World Series, multiple regionals and super regionals. And uh, actually prior to that, worked five Junior College World Series. And then when I retired in 14, I became a part of the NCAA evaluation staff for a couple of years, evaluating umpires for postseason, flying around the country and looking, you know, as, as part of the regional staff for the NCAA. And then just got to the point where <clears throat> had young kids that were coming up playing sports, and it was time to focus on that. So, but I got out when the time was good. But been a lot of changes in the last, you know, several years with replay and a lot of technology around umpiring. Yeah, you mentioned the technology, the replay, a lot of different aspects of. Uh, of umpiring that we wanted to kind of pick your brain on and go into tonight. 
um, and just get your thoughts and um, maybe the thoughts sure. of the thoughts of some of your peers. And um, we'll start off since you mentioned replay. Um, replay is something that uh, I think most coaches are uh, are definitely in favor of, and it's something that's evolved over the last several years where some venues, some ballparks did not have that capability. Um, now um, it seems like most do, if not all. And um, just what what are your thoughts overall? Because on the whole, I think it's a good thing, but uh, you know, at times it can certainly be frustrating when you have longer replays that delay the game. Yeah, I tell everybody, uh, you know, a quick story. Uh, in 2014, we had Texas and Florida, and we missed a home run. We didn't have replay at that time, and we always say we were the crew that invented replay after the College World Series because they had it the next year. Um, but it didn't affect the game, thank, thank goodness. But uh, I, I think, you know, the, the one thing that people need to understand about replay, somebody still has to make a decision, uh, you know, whether it's central replay or on the field. I mean, it's just another look at it. It's slower. It's multiple angles, but still someone has to make a decision to either overrule it or overrule the call or up, uh, uphold the call on the field. And I think, you know, fans get frustrated a lot of times when there's not enough evidence to overturn something based on an angle or, you know, and I, and I think as, you know, maybe during the week or on a weekend, you might only have four or five cameras and now we're going in Omaha and they're going to have 14 to 15 angles or more. Sorry, Scott, I, I got a phone call. But, um, yeah, no doubt as far as that aspect of, of the replay. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, also a major point of emphasis this year has been the celebration rules, uh, whether it's involving props or, you know, staying in the dugout and so forth. Yeah. Here, East Carolina is, is our focus uh, down in the AAC tournament, I'm sure you're probably aware of this situation. Uh, you had East Carolina let off the bottom of the first with a home run. Um, there had been a party tray of subs in the dugout. One of the, the pitchers, who was probably not going to pitch that day, um, but but was available if needed, uh, you know, had had a sub that he was finishing up, and just so happened that Jacob Starling hit a home run. Um, that player carries the sub out onto the warning track there. Um, behind the plate and then gives that sub to to the batter and so and he gets ejected after the umpires came together and but then you have a situation like Oral Roberts as I'm sure you're also aware of um, their guys are are eating the um, the gummy worms or whatnot uh, when when they get to first base <laughs> yeah yeah I mean uh, you know people just to you know we've had a bench jockeying rule for 20 years, you know, from both sides to, to keep the peace. And so I think a lot of it, you know, is that, you know, baseball, especially in college baseball is a very emotional game and it's really trying to help calm those emotions versus shutting it down because it can lead to different things. And, you know, pitchers coming off with a third strike and looking in the other dugout, you know, that creates to possibly throwing at hitters and, you know, a lot of different things that you want to, you know, that you want to try to avoid. And, you know, I mean, most, 99% of umpires never want to, never want to have an ejection. Uh, that's the last thing they want just because it requires a lot of a paperwork and a lot of time on you to really justify what you did. Number one, number two, you know, people do come to the park to see players and not coaches and umpires. <clears throat> so, you, you know, uh, I think most of us realize that most good umpires do. And, you know, and everything's situational. 
uh, you know, versus a, whether it's a sandwich or gum. I mean, it's a rule. I mean, I was on the rules committee in 13 and 14 when we had the rule. You couldn't come out of the dugout past the dirt for home runs because we were having it situations where players were at home play and they were saying something to the opposing catcher. And then that just creates a lot of issues for fights or, you know, possible tension in the game that you don't need. You know, I, of the stuff that's happened recently, this is Kyle, by the way, um, you, you, the, the, there was the sandwich incident Bubba mentioned, you know, with, with, with the East Carolina player. And then the, the gummy worms, that seems to be an odd issue for the Oral Roberts players for whatever reason. Um, the, I mentioned, uh, with a previous guest, I was watching the Tennessee Southern Miss, uh, super regional finals and, uh, Tennessee pitchers Burns, uh, kind of unbelievable arm Burns is an appropriate last name because he throws fire, but, uh, he, he had struck out, uh, back-to-back batters to, to end the inning and, uh, keep the momentum going for Tennessee and squash Southern Miss's rally. He just, and he, and he just throat slash coming off the field and, I, I was kind of surprised uh, he wasn't ejected. Ob- uh, um, was that just a situation probably where the umpires didn't see him do it and the camera caught it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I know I, I was watching the game as well. I know specifically what you're talking about. I, I think what's happened is is that you know they're going. You know, we're starting to slowly umpires today are accepting a little bit more of that. I mean, you know, if he goes to the big leagues and tries some of that Xanax, you know, that won't last long, just because you're showing up people. You know, and I, and I think we, you know, we've slowly, you know, the fan, the fans want, you know, all the excitement and the pitchers coming off and slamming their glove when they strike someone out or, you know, the bat flips. I think, you know, the new rule this year to get rid of that. So uh, I think all the taunting, I mean, you know, you know, there's a taunting rule in football, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that's where we're headed. No, uh, and, and, and I'm good. I'm good with celebrating. I, I, in fact, yeah. I, I think they should let kids celebrate. Absolutely. I think when you get to the point where you where you're doing a throat slash, you know that's that's that to me is insulting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know probably wasn't seen. I mean, you know the a lot of times if I'm a home plate umpire, you know, in the inning you're getting baseballs or looking at something else, and then number two, a lot of guys that you know in the field are turning around and getting the clock going. So. Yeah. Uh, but every, everything, like I say, everything is situational on those kind of things. I think you just cut it all out. If you want my opinion, I don't think it's going to happen. I think you got a generation of kids that, you know, I remember, you know, years ago, Clemson was real bad about the end of the third out. You know, they would slam a baseball every time the catcher went on a strikeout. You know, and we put we try to put a stop to that pretty quick. You know, before, before the prop roll came, uh, East Carolina, and to me this was harmless because it was fun. Uh, we uh, we would hit a home run a couple. It was last year, guys, the year before, and wear an orange road cone on our on, whoever hit the home run would wear an orange road cone on their head. And uh, yeah. I mean, you know, that was harmless. Who who is that taunting? That's just having fun. Yeah. Yet that's illegal now. Yeah. Well, I think you know maybe if I'm the pitcher, it's not. I'll just rebuttal that a little bit, right? If I'm the opposing pitcher, you know, it's like you know you're, you know what now what am what is what are my guys going to do if I hit a home, if they hit a home run? So. It's really just trying to, I think, slowly bring a little bit of, you know, not not the word class, but just a little bit more of respect of the game, in my opinion. What about uh, the fact, this is David, by the way, the fact that not only what the frustration that East Carolina fans have was that they said it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which was wrong. Um, and then they actually, the umpire got it wrong and said that, our pitcher, Gross, actually put the sandwich, uh, shoved it down 
Sterling's throat in the report, yeah. and that, that wasn't even that that wasn't even right. I mean, it wasn't even yeah. close to being right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I wasn't you know sorry. I I didn't see specifically what happened on that situation, and I think that you know um, you know that probably could be up for interpretation. I'm sure, but um, you know, I mean, it's you know, rules a rule, and you know, I think what umpires are trying to do, and you know the. The, the, the problem you have to understand is that umpires don't make the rules. It's coaches on the committee. I mean, I was on the committee, but I didn't have a vote. You know, I mean, there's an umpire representative, right. but, but I don't have, I mean, it's co coaches and administrators want to make the rules. So, you know, I mean, I mean, all we're doing is trying to enforce those rules you know, the best you can, whether it's, you know, whether it's the clock, whether it's a safety rule, whether it's a taunting rule or it's, you know, a prop rule, whatever that is. Scott, um, uh, j just a generalized question here as you've, uh, you know, you mentioned you umpired, uh, you know, for many, many years, uh, the, of, of all the schools you've been to, of all, of all the stadiums, um, if you, if you, who, who comes to mind as having the fans that were toughest on the umpires and who has you know, the fan base that was maybe the most consistently, the most uh, knowledgeable and fair. I think the most knowledgeable and appreciative fans are LSU. I mean, they would always, if uh, an opposing pitcher had a real good outing against them, would give him a standing ovation and respect that, you know, from him as well. I mean, you know, really, I think, I mean, I, I did a regional years ago that East Carolina hosted in Henderson. I think that was the right place. Uh, Kenston, <clears throat> Kenston, probably. Yeah, Kenston. Well, I was in an older ballpark, like in a neighborhood somewhere. Yeah, Granger and, Stadium. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that was a great environment. And, you know, I mean, I think there's, a, you know, different fan bases have a lot of different – you know, kind of passion to them. I mean, you know, Clemson, the problem with Clemson, sometimes you had to walk through the fans to get to your locker room. So you heard a lot more. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, you know, most, most umpires just, you know, you, you hear, you hear noise, you don't hear anything specific. Um, you know, I, I think what you look at from a, is how the administration treats you, you know, when you get on campus to the time you leave to the to the locker room, the facilities, how the security is, you know, and how, how professional they are, win, lose, or draw. I mean, everybody might be nasty when they're winning. I guess you know, it could also have been Wilson. Could, 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 uh, not yeah, Wilson also. Yeah. Yeah, probably in 2001 when Keith LeClaire was still our head coach. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wilson for the regionals and then Kenson for the supers. Because you, yep. you had uh, you had UMBC and then South Florida and Winthrop. Yep. But yeah, it was um, a good regional. That's very you know that's is a is an electric environment for you know for for East Carolina. Um, you well, know, th thankfully, we have a stadium now we can host in. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, they're two great ballparks with Fleming. We got it. With the top, you got a great coach and coach Godwin. You know, I knew him very well at Ole Miss, so you know, I think he's, he's done a fabulous job there. As far as uh baseball is concerned, um, we were talking obviously about the rules. Are there things that we can do? Um, I know that I'm not a fan, I will just say, uh, uh I'm having to deal with it with the pitch clock. The uh, obviously, the batter, I, I'm not really a fan of it. I feel like that, honestly, I think the people. They love baseball. We're going to love baseball. And the people that don't like baseball, it, if you had it 30 minutes for a game length, they're still not going to like it. So are there things we can do to grow the game um, that you're seeing that maybe rule changes or things that we can do for, for more fans? 
Yeah, I think uh, you know, if you, you know, what's what's going on in the major leagues. I mean, there was a lot of ejections in the month of April over the clock, right? Um, they've adjusted, I think, a lot to that. I've seen, you know, just in my, you know, purview, I've seen the, not as many ejections in the last, you know, probably in May and June. Uh, I think, you know, it's to speed up the game, uh, try to get, you know, I mean, when I, I mean, I, I will tell you, you know, the average game probably when I first came into college baseball 30 years ago was probably 210. Now it's over three hours. Um, you know, to, if you had a two and a half hour game, you know, you were, that was a long game. And, and back then that was in you know, a lot of that early on was part of gorilla ball. And I've always said the more offense, the quicker the game is. And I, I just think I think now you have a power game. Of course, home runs and hitting's up. You know, that's another debate whether it's the baseball or the bat. Uh, but when I went out evaluating umpires in seventeen and eighteen, and just watching the game, and you know, I mean, you got you got a uh, you know you got draft picks on Friday night. Everybody's got a draft pick now. Yeah. On Friday, I mean, everybody's got a top three round pick, and uh, you know, it's a it's a two to one game. It's three hours. There's a lot of slowdown. Because college baseball game is a momentum, and I'll and I'll give, I'll give uh, one conference the the kudos or you know the the congratulations of slowing the game down. That's the Pac-12. You know, you would go out in regionals and postseason, they'd throw to first base four or five times, and just they would slow the game down from a momentum. And a lot of the a lot of coaches have come from the West, and they've taken up that model. So I think what everybody's trying to do is just speed up the game yeah no doubt and uh i i think there there is something to be said for having a faster game you know dave was making the point of of uh if you know you, you if you're trying to speed it up to to get more people to watch baseball that probably really ain't gonna happen you either like baseball or you don't but uh from, from a tv standpoint for college as college baseball continues to grow and there's more and more TV coverage. You, you want a more you know, a more concise time for the yeah. games. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm with you over. You mentioned pickoffs to first base. I, I you know, I, I wish that was limited. I know it is now in Major League Baseball. Um, I, that is a rule. I'd rather see that rule implemented at the college level than the pitch clock. Yeah, I think you know, the, I think what's going on in the major leagues. I mean, I think I think the robo ump's coming. Uh, that'll probably be in the major leagues in about two to three years oh, wow. for sure. Oh, Just my because, because what they've done, I mean, it's in AAA right now in certain parks. Now, is that so, completely eliminating umpires with all robo-umps, or is it robo-umps and some real-life umpires also? Well, when we say that, I mean, basically it's a machine that's this basic, that's what it is. It's triggering down to say a beep to the umpire, you know, that's a, a strike or a ball. Okay, I got you. Yeah. And then he, and then they, they have, I think, I don't, I don't know specifically rules. I think they can overrule so many pitches an inning if they think, you know, the machine got it wrong. So, but what they've done is, is they started, you know, four or five years ago with it. They've educated a generation of, you know, minor leaguers coming up with it and they're used to it. Now with the, with, with, with the ever growing, you know, AIs getting more and more advanced, is there any, any threat of the robo umps taking over the world? Uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I think there's still going to be certain things around. I mean, it's like tennis. I mean, tennis has a lot, lot of electronic kind of stuff. Soccer does as well. 
Uh, I, I think you're still going to have human, you know, a lot of a lot of officials on the field for a lot of different things. I mean, I wrote an article for the NCAA in 2017 about technology because that's my background from an IT perspective. But, you know, Google Glass is something that's still probably out there. You talk about AI where, you know, someone could actually see a play at first base and they take an image of it and they rerun it or they rerun the replay in Google Glass. That was something. I mean, TrackMan has hit our the college game. As you've seen, strike zones gotten smaller um, because umpires are being graded on that. Um <clears throat> you're seeing overturns down a lot lower just because, you know, in today's game, you have a lot of, you know, like in the college world series right now, seven out of the eight guys you'll see this weekend are all triple a former triple a umpires. There's only one amateur umpire in the, in the wow. college world this year. So, you know, we're seeing a, we're seeing technology forcing a, a, a smaller strike zone in college baseball with track man, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, you know, that's, that you know it's in it's in major league baseball as well so um that that's where we're at from uh changing the game in my perspective yeah scott you talk about track man um, during the 2022 season uh, i was at a college game uh, watching with another college coach and he was just the umpire behind the plate he was catching a lot of a lot of flack but at the same time, like the, the, the college coach that I was watching the game with, uh, he said, and he said he may not be having the as good of a night tonight as he did in this game when he when he umpired our game. But when he umpired our game, uh, he, he was the best guy we had had all season and got like ninety eight percent of the pitches correct. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and there, you know, there's a there's a lot of guys in major, in in college baseball right now throwing up a lot of major league numbers like that, um, you know, from that side of it. And uh, I, I do think one thing that they're poorly calling, and I've said this for the last two or three years, we do a poor job of calling the uh, in college baseball mostly of the high curveball. Um, I know I know coaches don't want want you calling that, but I know pitching coaches do, but hitters, hitting coaches don't. But that is a strike a lot of the time. It's always, it can be in the buffer zone for them. So from a grading side of it, you know, they may not get pinged on it. But I think that's that's a pitch there. I, I'd like to see us take the the track man zone and expand it a little bit for college baseball. Uh, and get, you know, because I've always, you know, you always, you know, the the, the plate 17 inches, the the baseball's three like three and a quarter in diameter or whatever. So that gives you, you know, roughly 23 inches of, you know, of plate. And we we're, you know, we're down to 17. And I think, you know, you saw in this, in the regionals and super regionals, when you get into the third level pitching is where you see the big difference. Scott, uh, Bubba mentioned earlier, you had called three uh, college world series. Uh, talk about your experiences in Omaha. What was it like? Yes. You the most, maybe some of the most excited moments you witnessed, uh, you know, as an umpire in, in Omaha, what it meant to be able to, to call three college world series. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's only roughly about over 200, 200 umpires that's ever called the world series. You're in a, you're in a unique group an elite group of guys. Um, number one, number two, I was very fortunate and very blessed to have a lot of mentors that helped me get there. I umpired in two, my first one was 2007 and, and Rosenblatt. Uh, and then, was part of the crew that in 2011 opened up uh, Ameritrade. So got to see that transition from Rosenblatt to Ameritrade, which is now, I guess, Charles Schwab. And, you know, I saw the difference just as, as that. I mean, 
Rosenblatt has a great had a great history to it and a great character, but you know the modern stadium just made a whole mo- a whole lot of sense for that. So, but yeah, you're I mean there's you know roughly three thousand NCAA umpires you know in the system. There's ninety six that get chosen for the first round, thirty two for the Super Regionals, and eight for the College World Series every year. So, you know I was very fortunate to umpire at a high level at the end of my career, and I was smart enough to get out before. I was too bad or too fat. You know. <laughs> That's what Scott have a couple questions here on Facebook Live. Uh, Justin Butts, who uh, is an umpire, does high school, maybe also you know some American Legion, maybe some uh, junior college. But uh, Justin says um, the way I see it is an umpire. The the less I'm noticed, the better. Uh, is to talk about the shortage of umpires in today's game. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a combination of that. You know, I, I, I'll I'll take the opposite approach. I think our local associations, our high school associations, have done a poor job of recruiting, uh, and also not allowing young umpires a chance. I mean, I was very fortunate. Got out of college, worked one year of high school and college, and then got thrown into the college game. Uh, I've got a 20 year old son. He's he's in the middle right now of umpiring a lot. He's a college football player. Uh, at a D3 school, but he's umpiring. He realized he can make some good summer money doing that, but he's taking a passion for it. I, I think we got to recruit, you know, young young players, young athletes. The problem, you know, now is from the baseball side of it, the kids are in high school playing. They play all summer. So you got to go out and re- you got to go out and recruit, you know, football players. Um, you guys still there? We are. Yeah. So you got to go out. You got to go out and you know recruit you know different kids from different sports. You know football players, basketball players, and teach them the game from an umpiring perspective. And I think you know as a young umpire, you know you learn everything. You know at that twelve-year-old level, you're going to have instruction interference. <laughs> you're going to have two runners standing on the base together. You're going to have two guys colliding. I mean, you're going to have a lot of that kind of stuff happening. You really learn how to umpire at that level. You know as a young umpire. So. Justin also uh, says, as a JUCO umpire, he says, I love the 2120 rule. I'm not sure what that is, uh, but I did. I mean, I did five junior college World Series. I did a lot of junior college baseball early in my career. And I tell young umpires, I've done a lot of camps around the country. Build your resume, whatever that is. Go, go, you know, fight hard to umpire to do the state tournament. Fight, fight hard to do the JUCO regional to do the NEIA regional, to do the NEIA World Series, build a resume and, you know, because, you know, as you, as you want to go up the ladder in college baseball, that, that gives you those accolades to do that. So he, he uh, Justin says 20 second pitch clock is what he was uh, referenc- oh, referencing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah one, I think, one, uh, it's the 120 between innings. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, every league has their own, parameters around that i think the sec was like 17 or something this year um so i think that you know testing testing the difference of that and what it is i mean you know people understand that the 22nd rule has been in the rule book since since the start of time we're just now enforcing it (laughs) gotcha yeah that's something i think uh, most people would not uh, certainly be aware of and and Cliff Godwin um, down at the American Athletic Conference tournament, he said uh, that was the real problem that he had just because, you know, 
just the inconsistency in the way which it was enforced because he said there was one guy that uh, there was no doubt that he could he could see it uh, being legit but then there was one who is a very quick worker where the way in which um, the clock was being reset he said it could not have been right yeah yeah i think uh you know i think that's one one fallacy as an umpire and the ncaa tries to do that consistently and you know other the national federation is you know having a rule that's consistent no matter where you go so you know, North Carolina may be called one way. You come to Tennessee, it's called another, and coaches don't like that. And he said, moving into the 2024 season, he said it's going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, how it's implemented um, at ballparks. And you're going to have to have a, a pitch clock visible somewhere, um, whether or multiple places, uh, preferably. And then, um, you know, who you have in the press box is or wherever, as far as resetting that clock and making sure it's done consistently. He said, he said, because that's not a job that you can have some novice doing. He said, otherwise it's, otherwise it's going to be a crap show. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when the NCAA, when they write the rule book, they have to take into consideration the resources at a D three school versus a D one. Right. And, um, I think, you know, in my opinion, you know, you're trying to do that stuff at the junior college level, the D3 levels. They don't, they're not going to have the resources. They're not going to have someone work a clock. I mean, they're fighting just to have someone work the scoreboard, um, you know, for their game. So I think some adjustments are going to have to be done there. And, you know, I mean, then, then, of course, then you want to put it on the umpire and have him have a stopwatch and a two-man crew at a junior college level. And it's not fair to the young umpires coming up or any umpire that's got to enforce that kind of stuff without the bright technology. So I'm not a fan of having all the time, you know, we were, I mean, we, we were the only sport without a clock if you look at it and now we have it. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not saying it needs to be at every level. Now, Scott, you referenced the LSU's fan base. Uh, I, I know uh, when I set the interview up, I told you we'd ask you for a few stories. I um, you know, ones yeah. that you can, one that you can perhaps share a name with and then some that maybe you can't, but uh, you know, Having, I'm sure, been around the likes of maybe uh, a Ron Polk at Mississippi State uh, back in the day, or um, maybe even a, I'm not sure if you ever crossed paths with Skip Bertman or if that was after he had uh, moved into his administrative role. But, um, you know, some of those more recognizable names, uh, a Jack Leggett in the ACC, uh, guys mm-hmm. like that, guys like that. Yeah, uh, you know, Skip, Skip was always good about because when we first started umpiring i mean if you go back when the, when the conferences started in the sec conferences most prior to prior to 1990 all the uh, games were umpired by local high school groups i mean if you went to texas or florida state i mean they had the same four umpires every game and in alabama there was only one guy that worked to play so then when they went to neutral umpires where you know guys from nashville was going to travel to LSU or Mississippi State or whatever. I mean, we weren't making any money. We were making, you know, I think $300 for three games, and then we had to take our hotel and travel out of that. Um, so they would feed you and stuff. So Skip was real good about coming out at a play at first and act like he was talking about the play. I mean, he wanted to know, okay, you guys got your dinner coupons and where you headed tonight, hit Bobby's head, he'd get the crowd all going. So he played up to that kind of stuff. So, um, 
But see, the thing about Skip Bertman was he was a pitching coach. He never wanted to get ran. He always had people on the bench to, you know, to get to 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 get ejected. He had plenty of those guys. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I was very fortunate. You always you always have those guys that, that come through that you know who are different. You know, whether you know, you know, Mark Teixeira at Georgia Tech comes to mind, where he walks up the first time at the plate, or a Buster Posey, or you know, those kind of guys. You know, you just see those guys come through, or Todd Helton, or I mean, I can name a hundred of them. You just know they're different. I mean, back then there wasn't a, like there is now, you know, five draft picks on a college team. And you mentioned Buster Posey. Um, obviously, and that was a legend that I, I did not name, Mike Martin at, at Florida State. And then uh, also the great Augie Garrido um, between his yep. time at Fullerton and uh, the University of Texas. Uh, you know, any any stories or or so forth uh, involving either of them or, or maybe some that I've left out. Yeah. Mike Martin was always like a grandfather. He, you know, if he came out on you, you know, you knew you probably missed it. And, uh, you know, but he, he was a car salesman too. He always, he always wanted to give him a little bit of advantage and those kind of things, but was a great, great ambassador to the game. And, uh, uh, you know, Augie Greedo, I had him at when he was at Texas and didn't have him as a Cal state Fullerton, but, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of good coaches in the Atlantic Coast Conference as well. You know, I think Bron O'Connor is one of the classiest guys that's out there. Um, you know, he's, he's like, you know, people don't understand there's when you get the umpire at a certain level, there's a lot of respect between the coaches and umpires because they realize their job depends on it. And they want good, fair umpiring because, you know, when East Carolina travels to LSU, they want a good they want to know that three two pitch when the base is loaded in the seventh inning, you know, this down the middle that, you know, you're going to strike the kid out from LSU, you're going to get a fair shake. And I think that's what <clears throat> that's what's changed in college baseball. All the local stuff's gone anymore, no homers and stuff like that. But uh, it's been an evolution. I mean, I was fortunate to have Ron Polk, his last game, regular season game at Auburn. You know, we had a, we had a good conversation around that just, you know, because he did a lot. I mean, while I was a player at Austin P, and, you know, we played against them and in the 80s, and, he you know, he he's the – he and he he revolutionized college baseball. He was the first ambassador, in my opinion. No doubt, and uh, you know, certainly, without using any any names, I'm perhaps a bizarre call or two that that you you know recall or were a yeah. part of down through the years. Because I know last year in East Carolina's season opening series against Bryant. Um, it, East Carolina hit what appeared to be a walk-off home run, catcher Justin Wilcoxon. But um, you see the Bryant first baseman pointing toward the, the umpire, um, and he had called time. And yeah. and when they were getting to the bottom of what took place, um, he said that he called time because he, he couldn't see. And, and Cliff said, well, did he think the sun was going to move in five or ten seconds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, well, we had a play um, in a super regional with uh, Wichita State and UC Irvine at Wichita State. They were the top four team in the country. I think this is 2000, 2007. Um, and Dave Serrano was the coach at Irvine. And then um, um, I think the coach at Wichita State was there forever. Gene Stevenson. Gene Stevenson. Yeah. So, we, so, you know, Irvine comes in and beats them first game. And, you know, we got a three to two game and uh, we got to play at first base. I'm at home. Another umpire 
was at first and uh, bases loaded to end the inning and and we the umpire called him out and we got together and thought he pulled his foot so overturned the call run scored and tied up the game and uh, you know I, I could have we all could have sworn he was off the bag and that was before replay and then uh, I get in the locker room my phone's blowing up and there's some major league umpires that I know they were they were like that, the guy always stays on the bag don't ever overturn that call anymore so if you look at most of the calls today you know on the pulled back the pulled foot I mean that was one you really learn and I used, to, I used to share that play a lot with a lot of umpires at clinics and just say they're going to, they really hold the bag more than you think. I have another comment from Justin Butts. Um, he says, I can tell you my local group here in North Carolina, we used to the book the East Carolina games back in the 90s. Well, who were some of the umpires that you've umpired with uh, in this area when working ACC games and so forth? Uh, golly, of course, Ron Sebastian, he's, a, he's probably a legend in that area. I know he, uh, uh, you know, Bryant Woodall, uh, Greg Street, um, just a lot, a lot, lot of good, a lot of great umpires coming out of, you know, out of North Carolina, Barry Chambers. He was that area for a while. He lives in South Carolina now, college world series umpire. Um, a lot of, a lot of guys from that, from that whole Carolina area, because the ACC started conference umpires in like 92 and the, and the SEC started in like 90. Um, a lot, a lot of great umpires in that area. A lot of, a lot of great baseball. A lot of great baseball. No doubt. Scott, we appreciate you so much. Uh, certainly yeah. you guys uh, have a tough job and hopefully more guys will get in the, and ladies will get in the business uh, as they say. Yeah. And, uh, with the umpire shortage and uh, do you have anything before we let you go? No, I just think, uh, uh, I think it should be a prerequisite for every travel baseball coach that like have to umpire at least once a year. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a true umpire. No there doubt. You about it. <laughs> hey Thank guys, you so much. For your time. Appreciate you so much. It was a lot of fun. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Appreciate Scott so much. And uh, guys, uh, Definitely a lot of fun. We're looking college baseball. Obviously, we want the Pirates to be there in Omaha. They will knock down that door very soon. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun if you're a college baseball fan. And I had a friend of mine today ask me about, um, do you save up your money? Do you have enough money if you could go to Omaha? I said, look, we'll find a way, absolutely. And uh, I think it'll hit us when we least expect it like life. Right, guys? Uh, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. I, uh, who knows? I, yeah, I, I just want to go. I don't give a damn if we have a season like Wake Forest or have a, or, or we're an Oral Roberts. You know, if we go, if, if we make it to Omaha from a one seed or make it to Omaha from a four seed, uh, I just want to go. I'm, I'm sick of not going. I'm sick of everybody else going. And uh, I think we can all say that. And yep. You, you get to this time of year and there's, you know, I remember watching Southern Miss Tennessee the other night and I, part of me wanted to, pull for the Golden Eagles because they're my second favorite team. And the other part of me was jealous and said, God Almighty, Southern Miss going to go to Omaha twice before we even go once. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's fun to watch the College World Series, fun to keep up with all this. But uh, at the same time, uh, there, admittedly, there's a lot of jealousy um, on my part. I, I look at Wake Forest and I'm jealous. I look at Oral Roberts and I'm jealous. I mean, it's uh, it, it, it gets to be to the point where it becomes almost almost unenjoyable after the Pirates get eliminated where I don't want to even watch. And I, I'm sure I'll 
watch some of it, but I, uh, you know, we're going to make it one day for sure, but we already should have. It's just, it's just amazing. We never could seem to catch a break. Well, we will. And, uh, I agree with you 1000% Kyle is, uh, when you say also, I agree with you when it's really tough when after you lose in a regional, then we had to stomach the, the super regionals this year and then college world series. I do watch it, but like you said, it's not the same passion. Um, everybody can say, you know, you have a passion as a fan of baseball in this particular case with college baseball. But when it comes to your team, your alma mater, like my case, and you guys, we've been pulling for East Carolina for so long and and you think about all the great coaches, you think about all the great players, all the great people that are behind the scenes that uh, are part of the program that are awesome. Um, it's going to happen. And Kyle, I think once it, once that door's down, we're going to go there multiple times and it'll be great when we don't have to talk about it anymore, uh, for sure. Kind of uh, shifting gears, but still talking baseball. You know, over these um, last few days, some Pirates already – Doing very well in their respective in their respective summer collegiate leagues. Uh, you have Dixon Williams um, playing for the Bethesda Big Train. Uh, he went he went three for seven. Twenty six uh, to nothing. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, I, I'd forgotten the score of the the game, but yes, uh, in that twenty six to nothing win for the Big Train. Three for seven with like five or six runs batted in, I believe. Uh, so great for Dixon. Um, definitely would not be surprised to see him take on a big role in 2024. And then uh, were they playing a T ball team? No, church league, <laughs> church league, Kyle. Okay. Church league. And, and, and then uh, Ryan McChrystal. Uh, Ryan McChrystal is doing very well once again for the Burlington Sock Puppets in the Appalachian League. And uh, you're going to have here uh, shortly, uh, I know today he's on Pirate Radio, but JJC, Jacob Jenkins Cowarts, heading to the Cape. Uh, I'll uh, have to look up. I don't recall which team he's going to be with in the Cape. Okay, but uh, that's great. That's great that JJC is going to be in the Cape. Uh, You have Josh Moylan, uh, who's probably going to have a workout with the Philadelphia Phillies here soon. Uh, so really keep an eye on him, Josh Gross, and uh, where they go in the draft and as to whether they uh, will return or not in 2024. Uh, Justin Wilcoxon, uh, probably to a little bit lesser degree, is another one to, to keep an eye on in, the, in that uh, same light as far as the draft. Bubba, with the Appalachian League uh, changing from a, a, um, a professional, it was a, a rookie league for um, – Major League Baseball is a minor league. It was the lowest level of minor baseball, rookie league. And now, um, I believe I believe Major League Baseball actually owns it still, even, though it's, coll- even though it's a collegiate league. Yep. Uh, is, is that now the number two collegiate league behind the Cape? No, it's CPL. You think yeah, the plane is still above it, the, even though Major League Baseball is the Appalachian League? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Cape Cod. Cape Cod is certainly the cream of the crop, and then uh, after that, I know, I know uh, CPL and the Coastal Plain League is pretty high ranking, but uh, there's certainly a lot of other good summer leagues around the around the country. I know the Northwood League and Northwoods League in the Midwest is one I think is pretty reputable, and 
I'm not sure which one would be considered number two. Okay. Hey guys, did you hear about Moorhead City? The they were the Marlins, but did you hear the new name for their team? I'm not making this up. Uh, is it the Moorhead City Moorhead? <laughs> no, the Moorhead City Motor Boaters. Yes, I, oh I, I, I saw that, and I immediately, <laughs> I thought, th- I immediately thought of Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I thought about Kyle. <laughs> I, 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 motor boating's fun. Uh, I, uh, I, I think of the song by Little Big Town. Exactly, motor boating. Yeah, yeah. The the Valley League, the Shenandoah Shenandoah Valley League, and we've certainly had some pirates in that. I remember when when Davis. Kurt Patrick, as well as some others, uh, you know, pitched for uh, a team there in the Shenandoah. What about there, Tom the, Francisco? Didn't he play in that league, or am I making that up? And we also have some in the – It's, um, I believe you're correct on that. Uh, it's, I'm trying to remember if he played for Charlottesville. We had – I think it was – yeah, that sounds Charlottesville, but I'm not sure. I, I know last year Carter Cunningham – Played for the Charlottesville Tom Sox, and this year we have Zach Root and uh, one other pirate. I'm trying to remember, but we have at least two what pirates. What the hell is a Tom Charlotte. Sock? You don't know what a Tom Sock is? Uh, no, I don't know. I'd have to Google it. Um, uh, Craig says you, you can't beat Banana Ball. Obviously, talking about the Savannah Bananas. Bananas and, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you take that Banana Ball and you. Combine it with motorboating, and you got something. And Justin said his brother Brett, <laughs> a for, for, former pitcher for the Pirates, um, played for the Harrisonburg Turks in the Valley League. Harrisonburg Turds? Turks. Oh, Turks. Okay. All right. I knew yeah. you were going to say that. God. <laughs> <laughs> and then Johnny Robertson. Uh, <clears throat> I appreciate JR chiming in. Uh, Maybe, maybe he just tuned in. Uh, if not, surprised he hasn't chimed in before now, but he said the last four Valley League champions have all had at least one pirate on the roster. Well, gag me with a spoon. Man, I'm I'm so excited that Green Bull. Yeah, that, you get the Valley reference there. That was pretty good. Yes, I did. Yeah, the Valley girl. Yeah. <laughs> I sure did. Yeah, I, I tell you what, the – Greenville team is going to be a lot of fun. We were talking about that today at work. After work, we go to a lot of the games uh, that are going to be in the CPL. So hopefully, I hope they keep the name the Greenville Greenies. I think that's the that was the minor league team's name, and so that will be a lot of fun. Yeah, they they asked. I saw somewhere asking for suggestions. I know a lot of people say the Greenies. I, I thought the twenty three would be pretty cool. You could, you know, then immediately get East Carolina fans on board if they called them the Greenville twenty three. That'd be pretty neat. Guys, kind of shifting gears a little bit on something. Obviously, we had John Gilbert on yesterday. Excellent 25-minute conversation with him. But uh, a mind-boggling mind-boggling number is you have approximately 6,000 Pirate Club members. Only 6% of those, so roughly, what, 360 people uh, or thereabouts, has um, have made contributions to Pirates Unite, so, so that has to change. Uh, you know, far too few people doing too much. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I, I and I haven't given the Pirates Unite yet, um, and uh, I, I will, I, I will soon enough. Um, but we need to, um, 
I ain't got a phone call either. Uh, you know, I got, you know, call my phone. Hey, won't you, won't you give me a ring? Hey, Kyle, uh, can you, can you, can you, can you spare a little change for Pirates Unite? I mean, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know what we're doing, reaching out to people individually. I mean, uh, call me, call other people, not just me. I mean, um, if you want people to give to Pirates Unite, you, you might start beating on doors. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to say no when you got somebody on the phone. And uh, that'd be my advice. Uh, Bubba, have you got a phone call? No, I have not gotten a phone call. And, and just uh, electronic uh, communication um, via, 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 via email and uh, so forth. But, but yes, uh, I, I do think that that's, um, you know, from the outside looking in, um, that that's underutilized and the uh, – the phone call and like you're saying, kind of the personal nature of that, uh, you know, not, not just a automated call, but, uh, you're making as many of those personal phone calls as you can, because that really lets your, your donors, um, realize, you know, that you, that you appreciate them and the, their importance on to what you're doing. And so, you know, whether, it's one I thing to get them on the phone and just flat out, hey, can we, can we, can we go ahead and get your donation now? How much can you give now? Can you get more later? Be a damn used car salesman. Get, get, get people on the phone. I mean, it's, the electronic communication, yes, I know it's 2023, but we all know a lot of the Pirate Club members, you know, we're, we're, we may be the younger side of a lot of the Pirate Club, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd, uh, I, I, would, I would recommend utilizing some phone calls. And I'm also, you know, um, I'm also um, a bit concerned. Uh, well, you continue on that, Bubba. Then, then I'll get on what I was going to say. No, that's that's fine. Go ahead. I, were you going down the path as far as the age of the Pirate Club members? Uh, no, I was actually going to get yeah. off of that. Um, okay. I, but but that that is a point again. The phone calls versus electronic communication is, like I say, we're 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 on the younger side of the Pirate Club. Uh, I would venture to say, and we're all in our forties. So. Um, people older than us, you know, they may not check. They they might not check their email very often. I like your uh, math. I'm still in the 40s. That's good, Co. Are you in your 50s now, Dave? 50, yeah. Okay. Just, well, yeah, that's right. You just recently had a birthday. Um, yeah, but I will. I, You're uh, right up until April 14th. I um, but anyway, what I was going to say is, um, Gilbert, uh, on our interview yesterday, then again on his interview, uh, with oh, with um, I go. Um, he, uh, he, he talked about, um, basically NC state and UNC wouldn't play us anymore without getting legislation involved. Um, which is the first time I've heard him really mention legislation. So, uh, I, it'd be interesting to see if we take that route. Uh, he also said he doesn't know if any power five teams are going to be willing to come to Greenville. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know, um, uh, what, what we do about that. Uh, I can tell you this much and, and. And um, this ain't even up for debate, in my opinion. Um, if we don't get Power 5 teams coming to Greenville uh, after what's on the schedule in 28, uh, if that doesn't happen, we're going to have to do something about a different conference. We we cannot sell season tickets um, on a regular basis in this goofy conference uh, w- with some of the teams we have. Um, if, if you can't get Power 5 schools in here, you need to have an appealing regional schedule. And um, I, UTSA is SMU as good as they are, ain't regional. And, you know, um, Gilbert, 
talked about asking student athletes who our rivals were, and they say UNC and NC State, and he asked them, well, what about in conference? And they don't have an answer. And he talked about creating a rivalry with Charlotte. And I think that's fine and dandy for football, excuse me, for basketball and baseball. But East Carolina and Charlotte and football, fans don't want that to be a rivalry. Uh, I think our rivalry is more, um, even though not in, they should have been picked, but it's a whole other ball game. Uh, but App State and East Carolina are more yeah, of a rival. Well, well, that's why I go back to the, for, to the Sun Belt. I, I think it's an inevitable I think it's an it's an inevitability. It's only a matter of time um, that, we're, that 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 that's going to happen. Unless unless we go on a tear and 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 you know with the new playoff format, go to the playoffs every year, and you say, "Hey, watch change what's working," or that gets us elevated to a Power Five conference. I, I think it's an inevitability we're going to be in the Sun Belt, and I'm okay with that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. But uh, th- this this new league in football. It just ain't gonna. It, it just ain't gonna. It just, it just ain't gonna do it. it. It's just, it's not going to create excitement with the fan base. What if we win the? But what if we win championships? Oh, sure, winning, winning, winning cures all. That's what I just said, right. Dave. I said if yeah, we yeah, win championships good. on a regular basis, then you may say why change was yeah. working. But I, I just, I, I have some concerns um, with the scheduling talk. Um, we, we, I, we missed an opportunity for a follow up question there. Um, with the inability to schedule NC State and UNC, you mentioned it, App State, unless we are planning on joining the league with them. Um, and, and maybe Gilbert is doing this. We didn't ask him. But we, we need to get a long – you know, we have a series with App State, but we need to get a long-term deal signed with App. And I know yep. App would, would want to do it just as much as us. You just don't want them to get filled up before it's done. Um, yeah. And give credit um, to uh, Stephen Igo and uh, Hoist the Colors – Today, um, he he did uh, actually. I think John Gilbert brought it up before Stephen had a chance to ask, and and that was that he that he and Doug Gillen, the AD at App State, um, were definitely on the same page there, and that um, that's a series that don't be surprised in the not too distant future, uh, perhaps that that it will be uh, extended and well, definitely shared that with with us yesterday on our show. N- no games in uh, Charlotte uh, if he has you know he doesn't uh, see himself agreeing to that but just just in Greenville and Boone. No, there's no need to do the Charlotte thing now. App State's proven themselves um uh home and home between Greenville and Boone is is perfectly a- fine. But he said, but he w- is open to playing um, a neutral site game at Bank of America Stadium uh, if it's the right opponent. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I, you know, I, one thing I had mentioned, just, just throwing it out there because we talked about, you know, being at UVA in Charlottesville uh, last weekend or weekend before last, um, you know, was their, was their conversation between Gilbert and their AD and, you know, I mentioned, you know, uh, maybe playing UVA up at the uh, Redskins Stadium. Uh, that would be a a, 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 um, a good opportunity for a neutral site game, something like that. That's that's just something I'm throwing out there. I, I, that's not been talked about at all, but just an idea I had. Um, no, you're right. You're right about that. That's a game that uh, I think it's a quick drive for both fan bases, and that's the kind of excitement that you were talking about with uh, season tickets, but that's the kind of excitement of games that that people the people do want. It's a ACC school, and 
uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, Pirate fans hate ACC schools, but yet that's the only way you can get them to a stadium. So that would be a great. Uh, well, you hate them, you love to beat them. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think it's just ACC schools. I think, you know, the App State series is a series that will draw a lot of fans. I think fans will come out for Marshall. Um, I think, I think, a, yeah, I think fans would come out for Coastal. Um, I, I think fans would come out for, uh, for JMU. Um, they would bring fans. Um, uh, you know, what about Liberty? Not, uh, yeah, Liberty also, sure, absolutely. Liberty's got a great old Dominion sub. Some of our fan base doesn't like. I actually like the ODU series. It's a, I, I like the ODU series. What I didn't like was the amount of games signed, but I, I, I like playing Old Dominion. Um, and uh, you know, again, I've at this point, um, if you if the money was the same, um, I would definitely choose the Sunbelt over the American if, if all things were equal. But, but like I was telling you guys, let's take the money and still schedule those opponents uh, in the non-conference as much as we can. Yeah, and but then we get the best build, of both worlds. But, but the, the, in, the, in the best case scenario, you build conference rivals that you're going to play every year in all sports. Yeah, you, you, you schedule them in football, but you, now you're talking, you know, you'd be playing the schools in, in baseball. I mean, what, what, what a what a great fit we would be in that baseball league. I mean, that would, that, that, that baseball league is a beast. You, you put us into it. It's an, it becomes an even bigger beast. Could you imagine the, the Sunbelt baseball tournament being held in Myrtle beach at the Pelicans ballpark with East Carolina and coastal Carolina fans there? I mean, Oh yeah. There, there's so many, there's so many things that are appealing to me about that. If, if, if all things were equal financially. And, um, I do think fortunately or unfortunately, uh, it, it's going to end up that way, but um, for the time well, let, me being, ask you a, let me ask you a question. So, since the SPN that we all love and hate, <laughs> they still um, are the ones that are dictating this. Don't you think that they were they told Oresco to pick those teams t- to keep the kind of money, or if no, not, he's not no, doing his job. No, no, no. He he told they told Oresco not to take teams from the Sun Belt because. They had a contract with the Sun Belt, so they asked him to, and he and he did what they said, and he chose media markets. Now, those media markets didn't equate to Conference USA getting a good deal, so why are they going to equate to the American getting a, keeping a good deal? And no, I don't think ESPN told Oresco to take those teams so they could keep the same amount of money. If I'm running a business, I want to pay you the least I can. Um, I, I, you know, I want to devalue your product. Um, on your so end, they- while it's still bringing advertisement dollars into me. The, the reason Oresco took those teams is because potential, the potential the ESPN may see for advertising dollars in the city of Birmingham, the city of Charlotte, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, in 20, San Antonio. San Antonio, sure. Well, San Antonio, is, that is the one I would have taken yeah. um, because I do think that media market has embraced UTSA. UTSA has good football. And and there's only one pro sports team in that city, but I, I, our, our contract is up, I believe in 27 or 28. I need to look and see. It could yep. be 20, could be 25. I'm pretty sure it's 27 or 28. Um, unless there is some major strides made between now and then, uh, there's no way, um, we're going to get seven or eight million again. And if we do seven or eight million to 28, ain't going to mean what seven or eight million means now with inflation like it is. What about if uh, there's supposed to be stuff coming down next month as far as the Big 12 pack 
12 losing teams, adding teams. What about the uh, Big Ten as well? What about uh, a merger maybe with Mountain West? Would you think that gives us more money? I well, let, let's let's play a scenario out. Um, if if the Big Ten adds Oregon and yeah. Washington, and then the the, the Pac twelve is in disarray at that point, the four corner schools Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, bolt to the Big Twelve. That will leave the Pac twelve with four schools. Um, if they don't vote to dissolve the league, the Pac twelve will probably hang on, add a handful of schools from the Mountain West, add a handful of schools from the American. And then where does that leave us? Um, uh, who knows? Uh, it, it, it's all going to play out like it is. But uh, I, I don't see us. I'll say this. I wanted to hear Dave. And uh, I, I personally, and maybe I'm wrong, but um, I don't see us staying in the current American the way it is now. No more than five years. We'll see if I'm right. Sorry, I had a phone call coming in. Say that again, Kyle. Uh, I was just saying, as, as we wrap it up, I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this, with that discussion. I don't see us staying in the current American the way it is now, no more than five years. We'll see if I'm right. Okay. No doubt about it. I, <clears throat> I definitely like, as you know, you and I definitely agree that uh, a lot of appealing uh, teams that are in the Sun Belt, there's no question about that. Um, and maybe – Maybe the Sun Belt, hey, maybe the Sun Belt gets more money uh, next time around, and you know, then it would be the right move. But until they get <clears throat> until they get more money, um, uh, it's a step down at the current time. And I don't mean that in disrespect. I'm just talking. No, about, it's not a step down in terms of competition, just financially. No, it's I'm better, talking about financially. It's a, it's a better baseball league. It's equal right, football. Financially it's equal football. League. Yeah, financially it is. Yes. Um, that's what that's my concern, and we'll see if. It all. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't but, even know. But what's not happening. not as big as not as big as it sounds like because we would make up a lot of money with travel costs. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, that's what I want. I'd love to know is how much is it costing us? I think maybe Bubba's had it, but um, I think it's coming out that we are in the clear about was it two million dollars difference? But still, two million is two million. Um, but. Anyway, we'll see how we'll see how that plays up. I don't know what happened to Bubba, but uh, wrap uh, it up, Dave. I know that's what I'm trying to tell you. Um, I can't wrap it up right this second, so um, let me see what I can keep talking. I'm on my phone tonight, so I'm not on the usual. There you go. Bubba's back. Okay. All right, but anyway, I uh, want to remind everybody that we have great programming, like John Gilbert, as he talked about. We have. Uh, man, Trey Daly from the Dirtbags. Bubba, you did a great job. I listened to that. Uh, great job with him. Uh, we also have Ken, Coach Kim McNeil. She was on recently. Shane Winkler has been on there with Bubba. Uh, we've got great interviews coming up uh, next week, too, guys. So uh, a lot of football interviews. Looking forward to that. Plus, tomorrow night, Bubba, uh, as we do our opponent preview, we got that coming up, too. Yeah, Steve Cotton, play, play-by-play voice, long-time play-by-play voice of the Marshall Thunder and Herd, and then Adam Witten, play-by-play voice of App State. So we'll preview games two and three. And then uh, we'll probably go ahead. We may put this out tonight, uh, either tonight or uh, tomorrow around lunchtime. Um, today I had the opportunity to catch up with first-year Navy head coach Brian Newberry and uh, discussed – his team, as well as you know, a couple other topics 
and uh, you know we'll get um, that uh, firsthand look at the Navy midshipmen from their first year head coach. Uh, it seems weird I'm talking about Navy and not saying Coach Kenny Matalolo, but um, but um, athletic director. Glad Chuck uh, there in Annapolis decided to part ways. And, uh, you know, today when I was talking to Coach Newberry, uh, I was talking about the transition. And he said, yeah, that first month or month and a half, it was really um, drinking out of a fire hose. He said, because it was, uh, he said it was great to be a head coach, but it was unexpected. Well, yeah, we'll see how that, that's one of the things the new American has that's going to be interesting to see how many new coaches we have um, in the new American and how, how they fare. Uh, will they do great? The Tom Herman's of the world at FAU and uh, you have all kinds of uh, coaches. One of, I think it's six new coaches, right? Uh, Bubba with Newberry there at Navy. Yeah. You got Newberry, Trent Dilford, uh, yeah, Herman. Uh, you got homeboy at Charlotte. Um, oh yeah. Biff, 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 Biff Pochi. Yeah, um, it's a lot, a lot of new coaches. Uh, so it, it'll it'll be an interesting football season for sure. You got you got yeah. uh, former Indiana head coach. Um, I can't think Kevin, of Kevin Wilson at Tulsa. Kevin Wilson at Tulsa. That's right, Tulsa. That's the one I couldn't yeah. remember. Thank you, Bubba. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it plays out, guys. I don't know about you, but certainly ready for college football. And the coaches will say that they're definitely not ready, but. When it gets to be this time of year, it's uh, hard to believe, but it's only, what, about 80 days before the first game? Yep, and, like uh, and next Tuesday, and we'll be catching up with East Carolina offensive coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. So so make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel and that you ring that notification bell yep. so you're alerted on your device you know, when we upload new content uh, like that conversation with Donnie K. No doubt. Uh, guys, thank you very much. Thank you, our great guests as well. And uh, our viewers and listeners, or if you're if you're listener viewing live or certainly on the archives, we appreciate you so much. We never take you for granted. And until next time, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates.